We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna I mean, every year is, is kind of like that. I mean, every offensive player in their own right is, I mean, you hate to say it, but they're selfish in a, in a certain way. But at the same time, it's only one ball to go around. You know, at the end of the day, winning trumps everything. So when you got guys like LaShawn and Robert Woods and, and Sammy and guys like that, I mean, it's, it's understandable. You want to get those guys the ball. So guys understand that, and as long as we win, and we're all fine. I mean, whether I'm catching balls or blocking, as long as we win, I'm totally fine with it. So. It depends on what you look at as impactful because I, I feel like in the run game, I helped a lot in the run game, so I feel like that impacts the game. Um, if you're talking receiving, then, I mean, that's one thing, but it's other ways you can impact the game is, as far as just not being, you know, receiving. Your, so I, I do feel like I, I did in, in that regard. So. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rock Pile Report. That was Charles Clay from BuffaloBills.com talking about his place in the offense. It's good to hear another player on our team talking about finding his spot in this team, on this team, wherever it may be, doing whatever they need to do to to just make an impact. There's only one ball that can go around. I mean, this is this is the this all in idea, you know, this all in idea that Rex Ryan bastardized from Clemson that he's now trying to push here. But it sounds like it sounds more and more, the more players you hear talk, it sounds like they're actually buying into it, which is good. I'm Drew Gear, your host. That's Chris Kruger. And tonight we got a real treat. We're going to have Pierre from Bills Fanatics joining us on the air. Also, tonight we're going to be talking about the, you know, last week we kind of previewed the defensive half of the 90-man roster. So this week we're going to be talking about the offensive side of the ball. You know, kind of going over what each position group looks like and Talking about who's all coming to camp. You know, you got to know these guys, even though you don't know half of their friggin' names. But, as always, we want to kick this thing off with the Buffalo Bills weekly news update. Roger Goodell made headlines this week by passing away. This guy here is dead. Wrong! Wrong! It turns out the NFL just sucks at IT security. Does anyone else 
think that maybe this might give some level of credibility to the coaches out there that are concerned with the security of sideline video instead of photographs if and when the NFL starts forcing it on them. I bet it was my favorite coach uh, in NFL history, and I say that with uh, 1,000% sarcasm. I'm pretty sure it was former New York Jets head coach Rich Kotite that hacked the Twitter account of the NFL. <laughs> I'm pretty. We'll have to ask Kyle Smith, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Rich Kotite is a store manager at a sporting goods store in New Jersey. Just some disgruntled, overweight, balding guy who's bitter about the NFL decides to take a shot at Goodell. Rich Kotite was my favorite New York New York Jets head coach because he went one in fifteen. <laughs> No, unfortunately, the news I'm talking about with Roger Goodell revolves around his comments at uh, Jim Kelly's Celebrity Golf Tournament when he offered up his opinion on our stadium situation to WGR's Sal Carpaccio. Now, I'm going to quote him here. Stadiums are important just to make sure that the team here can continue to compete and not only throughout the NFL, but also compete in this environment because you've got great facilities now and the Bills have to stay up with that. He went on to say, I think every team in the league continues to look at whether it's a new stadium or renovations to their stadium. You know, they've just completed a renovation here in Buffalo. But ultimately, we have to look down the road. What's the right thing for the franchise and the community? What kind of stupid-ass question is that? Now, I've made no bones about what my opinion is on stadiums and the billionaires that own them. I think publicly subsidizing people who have millions and millions of dollars just so that we as citizens of the city that pays, you know, gives them these, (laughs) these subsidies have the privilege of continuing to fork over more of our money to them is just, it's idiotic. Where do you want your stadium? Do you want it in OP or do you want it downtown? I don't want the new stadium. You think the Ralph's fine. Just rent it. Do you want to do what uh, they did in Chicago and Kansas city with that, like that massive, renovation that they did yeah do that renovate the existing space but you don't need to build a stadium people keep talking about oh well you have to try to lure premier events don't kid yourselves people buffalo is never getting a super bowl buffalo will never host a super bowl we're not built for it we don't have the infrastructure for it i i i mean when i at my previous employer i would nonstop have a conversation with the gentleman who I've shared his numerous opinions about Sam Bradford beating, being a better quarterback than Doug Flutie and giving me his Bills prediction in March before the draft, he, whenever we got on the stadium subject, he would always bring in, oh, this is what they're doing in Dallas, in San Francisco. Buffalo is not Dallas or San Francisco. No. We're like Pittsburgh, Cleveland. <clears throat> Give me a, if, if we're going to build a new stadium, I don't need a $1.2 billion stadium. That's what we don't need. We don't need it, and we can't afford it. Now, hands down, you look at what they're doing in Dallas. Dallas, if you've ever bothered to look at the Forbes listing of, you know, every year they put on a new list of where sports teams rank as far as what they're worth, what, what specific franchises are worth. The Cowboys are in the top five for sports teams in value 
not just in the NFL, but in the entire world because they merchandise. They merchandise well. They've got fans in every city. They're in a huge, their, their state is huge. Their market is humongous. So they get a bigger market share. Cannot, we will never compete with Dallas. We will never be Dal- a team that has a stadium like Dallas's $1.2 billion monstrosity. You down can't there in compare. The place could be a palace. You cannot compare it. We don't have the ability to fill those premium seats. Look There's at, not enough Fortune 500 companies located in Buffalo to sell out executive suites. So saying that we need to build a new stadium that has these things, you can build all the fancy suites you want. If we don't have the companies here, the corporate backing to sell them, then what's going to happen? They're going to sit there. You're exactly. not going to see any revenue from them. Look at Mercedes-Benz Stone that's being built in Atlanta. If from what I've read online, that thing is a runaway train. From what I've read online, one point three billion. Yeah, it's more expensive than the Dallas Stadium. It started off at one point three billion dollars. It's at like one point five. It's at one point six and a half as of today, and it's probably going to increase before it's done. The cost of these stadiums continues to skyrocket, and that's either poor engineering or just you know they didn't listen to the engineers or whoever was doing the engineering was an idiot. But either way. That doesn't make sense for Buffalo. Buffalo doesn't need that and can't support that. If you ask, I have friends, and I ask my my fellow season ticket holders. One of them just had a kid. One of them, he works a 9-to-5 just like everybody else. He doesn't make a ton. He makes enough. And we all, you know, enough to live, you know, have his weekends, go here and there, maybe do some cool things once in a while. But we're all just working stiffs. And I'll tell you what, if the he and I had a conversation about it. And he flat out told me, if the Bills were to come out at the beginning of next season and say that you have to pay a $2,000 PSL fee in order to buy your season tickets, he wouldn't be able to afford them anymore. And he's not broke. He's just a normal working guy who doesn't have $2,000 to spend on football tickets. That is the entirety of the Bills fan base. So if you think that you're going to get money from that from that. Avenue in order to fund this brand new stadium with the retractable dome and all this other crap people keep talking Which about. Which we don't need. You're not going to get, you can't get it there. The county doesn't have it to give to you. So where is this money going to come from? Pagula's pockets. It's It's got to be. But then at the same time, does Pagula want to spend $1.2 billion on a stadium that he may or may not ever be able to see his investment back on? I don't think he, you don't need to spend $1.2 billion. I don't need... Dallas's stadium here. I don't need San Francisco's stadium here. I don't need Atlanta's new stadium here. If you're going to build me a new stadium, give me what Cleveland has, what Pittsburgh has, what Indianapolis is. If you look at Indianapolis, Indianapolis, that, that place sucks. If you look at how much their stadium cost in like 2016 dollars, it's around 700 million, which is not. Too bad. But again, for Buffalo, I don't want to be in a dome. No, Just I don't want to be in a dome. As a fan part of the game. As a fan, I do not the want to be in a dome. elements are part of the game, and it's something I enjoy. And it just seems like in like the next 30 years, everyone's going to have a new stadium, and we're all going to play in domes. Okay, well, in any event, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because cash is king. You know, the NFL hasn't gotten to where it is now by putting loyalty to its cities and fans above profits. I mean, look at what happened to the St. Louis Rams. There are fans in St. Louis right now who are torn because they don't want to support the rich bastard that stole their football team from them. But at the same time, they love the game. They love the game and they loved their team. You know, that's, that's what happens with these things. It, it turns into a game of chicken between the owner of a football team who already has billions of dollars 
in a city who probably can't afford to subsidize things, but feels like it has no choice. It's stupid. You look at what's happening with the Atlanta Braves down in Cobb County. Oh, yeah. The Atlanta Braves put $400 million into buying a new stadium. Now, Now, this year, they have to increase all of their residents' taxes because all of the money that was supposed to go to their public parks and a number of public works projects that were already slated, they used that money for the ballpark. So now they have to raise their citizens' taxes in order to pay for their parks, which were supposed to be – they were covered. That money was already allocated. And then because some some billionaire decided he was going to either t- take his ball and go home if you didn't give him what he wanted, they caved. And now their taxpayers are taking it in the ass for it. To, for starters with the Atlanta Braves Stadium, there is a reputable um, news anchor that's in Atlanta right now, Ben Swan, who used to work in Cincinnati and – he had a story about how the Atlanta Braves stadium was basically did not go to a public vote. No, it didn't. It no, didn't go it to, a, didn't public go to vote. a public vote. It was illegally. It was basically it was illegally illegally handled within the city officials mm-hmm. to to put in in uh, Marietta in Cobb County, and it's, and then they also said, "Oh, taxpayers, you're not going to have to pay." Anything, the taxes won't be raised, oh, yeah. and now they have to raise taxes. But it's not for the stadium, so technically they're not liars, even though they're all full of shit. At the end of the day, the stadium argument makes my blood boil. So let's let's move on. This week, according to Pro Football Focus and ESPN, now Sam Monson from ESPN penned an article stating that, you know, basically reviewing the rosters of the entire NFL analytically and breaking down and basically ranking all of the rosters. Now, this is doesn't mean anything but it's just interesting to take a look at according to them both pro football focus and espn the bills have the 14th best overall roster in the nfl and are seventh in the afc does anyone out there buy that i'm not sure i buy seventh in the afc okay well here's the teams that we finished behind started off with new england is first okay we're we're gonna run this down from first you know, first to thirteenth, New England, Green Bay, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia comes in at number five. Cincinnati. Before before you yell, keep going with the list. Cincinnati, Oakland, Arizona, Kansas City, Minnesota, Denver, Dallas, and Seattle. Seattle, according to this, is one spot ahead of us in the roster rankings. However, Philadelphia at number five makes me question the legitimacy of this entire practice. With all due respect, and remember I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it off. However, for for just, you know, shits and giggles, for what it's worth, the other two teams in our division finished pretty poorly. I mean, Miami comes in at 26th, and the New York Jets came in at 23. Now, for everyone out there listening, do any of you think that the Bills are legitimately the seventh best roster in the AFC? You know who I would put ahead, and this is purely on speculation and a don't sleep on this year, Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, the J- Jacksonville is going to sneak up on some people. Folks... That's we've be- got a poll up on Twitter right now, outline you know outlining you know this this the outcome of this. 
Why don't you hit it up on Twitter at Rockpile Report and tell us what you think? The uh, Jaguars, I think, this year will be the Kansas City Chiefs game from last year. I think the Jaguars are a sneaky pick to win their division this year. All they got to do is get by Indianapolis. I still think Houston's the team to beat because their defense is better. Houston, what Indianapolis proved last year is that even with a stud quarterback, their 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 offensive and defensive lines have been depleted to a point where they're no longer useful. That's how you win football games. All right, tell me what you're getting from Brock Osweiler. You don't know what you're getting from Brock Osweiler, but from from what I saw, he can't be worse than Brian Hoyer. I watched him. I watched him play extremely well in what amounted to a firefight with Pittsburgh. That game, he looked sharp. All right, okay. When you have a when you have a, a new quarterback like Osweiler. I would assume most of your offense you would lean on the run, and they don't have Ernie and Foster. Who's your running back? Is it Alfred Blue? Alfred Blue. He he didn't do poorly. Both of those running backs did, destroyed us when we played them last year. And season. Houston Houston won the division, right? Yep. All right. Now they they got a first place schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'm still gonna. I Jacksonville's gonna be sneaky. Jacksonville. We'll mark it. Chalk it up right here. Jacksonville wins that division. For all of you lovers of old takes exposed. Mark it down here. Chris yes. Kruger says they're going to win the division. I think they could. And then we've got news and updates from OTAs and workouts. Preston Brown was applauded by the local media. Vic Carucci made, you know, from the Buffalo News making note of his poised leadership on D and the fact that it looks like he's very much trying to take command of the defense. Rex Ryan was extremely quick to talk it up when he was speaking with reporters from buffalobills.com. Well, I definitely see it. I think the big deal is Understand that I w- it wasn't that I was displeased with him as far as his mental, like knowing his assignments and all that. He was always on top of it. But playing that middle linebacker position or playing one of those inside backer spots, you want to be, you know, vocal. You want to do more than just your job. You got to be, the, you know, the voice that everybody listens to. And and and, uh, and Preston's done that. He's done a great job of that. And. And you're right, he's, he's out there, he's barking it out, and, and guys are listening to him. I, bl- I firmly believe that they drafted Reggie Ragland to hedge their bets on Preston Brown. So that if Preston Brown just couldn't find a way to rebound from what was a pretty mediocre season overall for him, that they wouldn't have a hole at the linebacker position. I mean, they got a guy who was a consensus first-round talent, even if it was the tail end of the first round. We don't, we don't have any. We didn't have anybody outside of Preston Brown and Rag- last year. And Ragland is very comfortable calling a complicated defense, so I think he'd fit that gap if he needs to. But from what it sounds like, Preston Brown has answered the challenge, and I almost feel like maybe the pick was made not only to upgrade a position group, but almost to push Preston Brown to be a little bit better, to light a fire under him, to try to. T- Cut it loose. Cut it loose and let's see what you got. Because if not, we've brought in a guy who might might eventually replace you on the depth chart. Then you got Chris Brown of BuffaloBills.com. He was on the radio with John Murphy this last week and declared that for as good as Carlos Williams was last season, our rookie, fifth-rounder John Williams, might actually have a shot to pass him on the depth chart as our running back number two. Now, this it was a really interesting conversation to listen to. Mostly because if you look at his tape and you look at the way that John Williams plays and the way Carlos Williams plays, and we're going to talk about both of these guys in the, a little bit later in the podcast, but 
It's almost like you're looking at two of the same guys. John Williams is a guy, neither one of them are shy about contact. They're both over six foot and they're both over 230 pounds. They're not tiny people. They, they're both quick. They can change directions very well. They catch well. They do a lot of things at the running back position very well. They take good angles. The difference that I see between the two of them, and I think the reason why Chris Brown, and that's what he was talking about, was the reason he believes this is that John Williams just seems to take, you know, when he comes off of that initial contact, he's always cutting away from the contact. He's always pushing off and getting extra yards because he he takes good angles that Carlos sometimes just doesn't. You know, sometimes that initial contact slows him up, he stumbles, and then he gets tackled. This guy throughout his college career, that's why he was pumped as if it hadn't been for the foot injury, he might have been a second-round pick because he was that good. See, that's why I texted you after the draft. Like, why are we drafting him? We've got Shady, Carlos, and Mike Gillisley performed well down the stretch. I'll tell you why. There's a team out there that made the playoffs last season, the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. What they've done over the last few years, and I actually made a post about this today at Buffalo Rumblings. What they've done is that they've gone and very quietly, I mean, up until last year, did you know who Charkandrick West was? No. No. No one did. But what they did was they quietly just amassed a fantastic stable of running backs. Now, this is because they know what their offense is. They're very self-aware. They understand that their offense isn't going to, you know, they can't ask Alex Smith to come out and throw all over a defense if one of the running backs gets injured. So they very quietly committed to the ground and pound offense and put together a very deep stable of running backs. Okay. So when Jamal Charles went down with an injury, it screwed, Again. My, it screwed my fantasy football team. We don't care about your fantasy team. But at the same time, guys like Charkandrick West, Spencer Ware, Niles Davis, this trio of running backs who really hadn't done much to this point came out and really just dominated games. I mean, they, they, they ran all over people. They did it to us. Okay. They stepped right in and picked up the slack with our offense structured the way that it currently is this right here, amassing just a a whole fleet of talented running backs is the smartest play that our front office could make both short-term and long-term. Okay. LaShawn McCoy goes down with an injury. Now we've got three, maybe four talented running backs just around that we can get to fill that gap. Carlos because Williams, that is Carlos our bread Williams, and butter. Another concussion maybe this year? Well, and that's the thing. Carlos Williams is banged up, so it makes a lot of sense. And then, despite the fact that Rex Ryan spent most of last season dogging Dan Carpenter, and I mean, it was clear that there was some real animosity brewing there. He made a point of praising the kicker this week in an interview with BuffaloBills.com. I mean, he touched on the fact that while there will be a competition, he is extremely confident that Carpenter will be fine. I apologize that I failed as a producer. I could not find that audio anywhere in his press conference today. Well, well I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> but I think that this this friction, Dan Carpenter and Rex Ryan, this friction here, might have been one of the most underrated storylines of our last training camp. I mean, it was a distraction. I mean, there was games where you could see they'd walk by each other. He'd make a kick, and they'd walk by each other and not even acknowledge each like other. Like a couple of gunslingers? Yeah. just Old West? It, it shouldn't be like that. And, and I blame Rex Ryan for that. I do. Because I think he jumped all over him when he wasn't at training camp, and then 
called he called him soft and he said some other things that he probably shouldn't have it. But now it's good to see that they're on the same page so far and that it doesn't look like that's going to be a distraction Carpenter has to deal with this season. All right, guys, and as I alluded to earlier, we've got a guest tonight. We've got Pierre from Bill's Fanatics here on the air with us. How's it going, Pierre? What's going on, guys? Nada. I'm glad you could join us tonight. So I got some questions I want to ask you. First off, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, you know, as... Most may know that uh, I'm the founder of Bills Fanatics. Um, you know, we started it about, I want to say, you know, three years ago. And originally we started it just as a Facebook group. And then, you know, we started getting a lot of love. And then, you know, we started, you know, doing the Twitter and Instagram. And now it's, it just exploded. So now, um, you know, we're just, you know, giving out, you know, crazy content. You know, people are are loving it, you know, but it seems like lately we've been putting out a lot of controversy and, uh, Hey, it's been going viral. So, Hey, listen, gotta love it, man. conversation. That's what this is all about. You exactly. got to get people talking. Exactly. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? That's the purpose of a blog. It's the purpose of your, you know, the TV shows that you guys do. It's the, I mean, you guys are so multifaceted. It's incredible to see all of the things that you guys as a group, as Bill's fanatics get into. It's, yeah. it really is. Yeah. And, it's, you know, we had it when Rico was on. We had the conversation about who would you have because you can't have them both, Gilmore or do you take Tyrod? <laughs> and that right there got people talking because people aren't used to, you know what I mean? People want to hear, and you'll get that section of the fan base who only wants to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear everything's going to be okay. Everyone's going to get everything they want. And everything's going to be fine and rosy and sunshine and ponies but it's not like that this is real it's life never like that exactly and so the the reality is is that there's some things out there that need to be discussed and it's interesting to hear people's opinions on that you know like i think earlier this week you guys came out and had um what was it teddy bridgewater versus tyrod taylor yeah we actually you, posted it yesterday and and uh it, it's definitely gaining a lot of conversation oh <laughs> it should I mean, if you when you think about it, you're talking about a quarterback who Tyrod threw more touchdowns, fewer interceptions, more rushing touchdowns, but he's also older. And to Chris's point, he may have peaked already. So I don't know, Teddy Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor. I sided with Tyrod. I side with Teddy Bridgewater because he's younger. He's got more upside, and unlike Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater will use the middle of the field. Okay, I mean, that's definitely a fair assessment, but, you know, some could also argue that maybe Teddy is who he is, because if you look at him from, you know, year one to year two, he didn't really jump at all. No, I mean, there was no jump in his the game. The team got better, and, you know, he kind of, you know, stayed the same. Well, there's, uh, there's no jump in his game because he has Adrian Peterson to rely on. Well, yeah, true. Always great same, to have a, a running game to fall back on. Yeah, no, no, I mean... And I'll definitely give you that, but at the same time, it's kind of. Are we talking about Adrian Peterson or are we talking about <laughs> exactly. Teddy Bridgewater? You see what I'm saying? Like, so, like, if he's the quarterback who can, you know, carry a team without Adrian Peterson, who's you know over 30 years old right now, who knows? Who knows? Well, um, exactly, and that's what starts this whole conversation. That's exactly. why I think that this was such an awesome thing. Was it's like I look at the argument and I say we're in a run-heavy offense. 
if you can give me a quarterback who can not only throw, and now I break down games. I don't know if you've gone back and listened to any of other podcasts. Yes, I have. I break down a lot of them during the season statistically. And I I talk about, you know, and I, I, because that's, I'm a junkie for football. Just the X's and O's get me. I, I love it. So one thing that we saw was that they instituted a vertical passing offense that did not use the middle of the field. Now the question becomes, was that because Tyrod I mean, that's why he didn't throw any picks was because he wasn't throwing towards linebackers and safeties in the middle yeah. of the field. That's where most of your turnovers happen. So the question is now, can he do that? Were they maybe just putting training wheels on him just to get him up to speed? Or is it something he's just personally not comfortable doing? Because if not, it kind of paints you into a corner as an offense. I think, honestly, if you look at how the how the season transpired, yes – like it did seem like early they had the training wheels on, um, you know they were running a lot more. But then at the same time, if you look at what happened week seventeen, it was a complete opposite. So you know maybe they say you know what, let's see what you have, let's see the you know the whole arsenal, and because like what, I believe week seventeen was the most he he passed over the middle of the field. So yeah, yeah, he, you know? he really stepped it up at the end. Yeah. Now I gotta ask you, Pierre. Something I ask of every guest I have on this show. All right. What is your favorite Buffalo Bills memory? You know, all the all the time that you've spent. Now, I know you don't live here locally. Yeah. What is your favorite Buffalo Bills memory? My favorite Buffalo Bills memory. Wow. Um, I'll probably have to, you know, take a page out of Rico's book. Um I know that, you know, Rico, you know, said that one of his biggest memories was a, you know, sour moment. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, it has to be the Music City Miracle to me. Oh. Because just the joy out of knowing that you're moving on. You yep. know, everyone's, I mean, amped up. Like, yes, you know, we're, we're moving on. Everything is good. And then. Bam. So um, there's a whole bunch of, you know, great moments, you know, but as far as that long lasting memory. Just that pumped, just the way you felt before the New York City Miracle happened. Like right before, like, to be honest with you, I actually teared up. Oh, (laughs) I'll tell you. Now, how old are you? I definitely teared up. How old are you? I'm, I'm 34. Okay, I'm 31. I just remember seeing it. And yep. thinking in my head, and I played football ever since I was in like third grade, and I saw the play happen, and I'm like, that's a forward pass. It's not going to count. And yep. then they're calling it a touchdown, and then the referees talked, and then the touchdown stood, and I looked at my dad, and my dad was furious, and he just, but when my dad gets mad, he just gets quiet. He shut the TV off, and he <laughs> walked in the hallway, and I remember yelling down the hallway after him, I'm like, but dad, that's not right. Yeah. What yeah. Are, but to yep. that point in my life, I'd never experienced being cheated out of something before. I'd never experienced having a call just catastrophically go the opposite direction. And That's so true. I remember going outside and taking a hockey stick and just hitting rocks, <laughs> just shooting rocks at the house, just mad at the world. I was like, how? How does this happen? How did this happen to us? And now as an adult looking back at another 20 years of being a Bills <laughs> And you get used to it after a little while. Pierre, I Pierre, I was in eighth grade when that happened, and I made a ten dollar bet with Jeff Goodhand. He never got paid. 
Get out of here. I, I, I was a forward pass. I, ne- it was I never was, paid uh, the kid. He says uh-huh. I never paid the kid. <laughs> that, that's dirty, man. That's dirty. Man. That's, that, that's foul. Jeff, if you're out there, you better come shake him down for your money. He probably <laughs> needs the $10 now, the way his life's turned out. Yeah, I mean, like it was definitely one of those you knew where you were moments. Yep. And so yeah. then – Last question I got for you before we really get into breaking down this uh, this roster. Favorite game day slash tailgate snack? Oh. It would definitely have to be. You can tell a lot about a person by what wings. they like to munch on. But um, you got to have the corn on the cob. I oh, definitely love the, the corn on the cob, you know, right before, you know, going into the game. You're, um, you're the first person to ever say that, and come to think of it, I've done, pro- I've probably got two thousand tailgate parties under my belt. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've ever cooked corn. Yeah, I mean, like you definitely have to try it. How do you do it? Is it, you wrap it up in aluminum foil, and then you, you just you do what you do with it, man. Just let it. Oh, and then it just and steams no, inside the oh, the butter in there and stuff, and then you wrap it up and. You you would think you would think around these parts that that would actually be a good idea with the way Eden grows their corn. Yeah, we've there, got a town. Go. We've got a town ding, south ding, of ding. us that's known for its corn, and yet I've never made it. You know what, Pierre? I'm going to try it. I'll there give it a whirl. <laughs> so last week we broke down the 90 man roster on defense. You know, we went position group by position group, just talking about who was there, who's coming to camp, who's doing what. This week we're going to focus on offense. Okay. Now, looking at the Buffalo Bills roster, you know you can find the whole thing at buffalobills.com if anybody out there is listening, feels like they want to you know, just take a look at it as we're talking about it. It all starts at quarterback. Of course. Tyrod Taylor, six-year vet out of Vatek. E.J. Manuel, fourth-year pro out of Florida State University. Cardale Jones, fourth-round rookie draft pick out of Ohio State. My feeling on this position group is that for the first time in years, we're entering training camp with no controversy at the quarterback position or lack of an identifiable starter. And it feels funny, doesn't it? Oh, it's the str- – I think it's refreshing. It's like it's like a cold beer on a really hot day. Like, <laughs> I've never had this before. This is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It, um, it's definitely different. I can definitely tell you that. Now, uh, Pierre, you, know, you live in Virginia, correct? Yes. Will you be at the home at the opener for Baltimore week one? Yes, I'm actually going to both the week three preseason game when we play the Redskins, and I'm going to the Baltimore game week one definitely. So uh, nice. I'll definitely be there. But I did live in Buffalo for for over ten years, so I have been to a you know a bunch of games out there as well. So oh, nice. Well, good. Then you're familiar with Ralph Wilson. Yeah. Now. Tyrod is clearly the unquestioned starter. Yes. Okay. Manuel is our backup, which is probably it's looking like that's going to be his career ceiling. Like that, he just can't. The the guy just he's got all the physical tools. It just doesn't seem like he can put it together. I don't know what happened to him. Yeah. And then Jones represents a high upside development project. I mean, I'm comfortable with our quarterback group for the first time in my I don't know my entire life. Honestly. If Tyler Taylor can just, you know, stay healthy, I'm one of those fans who thinks he actually has a little bit more progression to him. Oh, I do too. Um, yeah, so. I think he's got room to grow. Yeah, definitely. How so, about how about this? 
I, what if the worst happens and Tyrod misses significant time? Knowing what we have in EJ Manuel, would you not just go right to Cardale to see what he has? Nah, see, you don't see. You're, what you would be doing at that point, I feel like, is you would be jeopardizing his you know, maturation process as a quarterback. You'd be putting that in jeopardy just to fill an immediate need. You throw yeah. him out there and damage his confidence in a game that he shouldn't really be in, that he's not prepared for, then what you end up with is, you know, let's say he comes out there and throws four picks and he does terrible. Then his confidence is shaken and you end up with J.P. Lossman all over again. Yeah, but now if you actually – because, of course, they're going to be practicing you know, uh, every day. So they'll be able to know if he's getting ready or not. And if he seems confident because these four preseason games are definitely going to be huge to see you know, like where he's at. So um, mm-hmm. if he gets better you know, during practice, who knows? Um, I'm definitely on the camp that, you know, we already know who EJ is. But honestly, it really comes down to how good our defense may be. Oh, yeah. Our our defense defense is dominant. Our defense is going to win or lose us this season. That's the way it's going to be. We know what we have in our offense. Our offense, I don't know how our offense could regress from last season. because Agreed. I mean, it's one of those situations where our court, all of our person, most of our personnel is back. And that's one of the themes of breaking down this roster is that our, our, you've got the core group of guys back. So I don't know that our offense will really regress. The same coordinator, same game plan. You'd expect them to take a step forward, if anything else. If our defense can come back to even being half of what they were in previous years, there's no reason we can't win most football games. 100%. Now, the only way we can actually regress, of course, is is, is injuries. injuries. Sammy Watkins, foot has any setback or if he misses games. Yeah, we're a different football team. It's going to be crucial. And that's why I love doing this now, getting to know the 90 guys who are going to show up to training camp because these are going to be the guys. If there's injuries, you better know these names because you're going to see them out there playing. You know, No one knew who A.J. Tarpley was. I knew because I follow college football and I watch the draft and I follow the team. He picked off that pass from Ryan Fitzpatrick and decided to call it a career. That being his highlight. That was his highlight, and he'd had enough. He retired. That's how you dropped the mic right there. Exactly. But so, you know, just that's that's why I think this is a good exercise, getting to know everyone who's going to be there. Now, moving on, to, we're going to look at the offensive line next. You know, we're going to break it out from center. Let's look at, I mean, quarterback, let's look at the guys who touch the ball. The center's coming to camp. Robert Kugler, undrafted free agent out of Purdue. Fernando Velasco, now he's a career backup. Who's played nine, what, almost 10 years in the league now? He's played for Carolina, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee, all as a backup center. And he comes out of the University of Georgia. Eric Wood, eight year starter here ever since he was drafted in the first round out of Louisville. I mean, Wood is the unquestioned starter. Yep. But Velasco is a great signing. The fact that they got him for the veteran minimum, he. He, he he fills that role. That's why Craig Urbick stayed on the roster for as long as he did was because he could fill both a guard and center role. Exactly. And, and, and I was just going to say that, too. Uh, you know, not only is he a center, he definitely is a hybrid. So mm-hmm. that was definitely one of the 
the most underrated signings so far this offseason. And you know what? I love that you say that because that's what I look at. I look at these veteran guys we brought in. I said it about Robert Blanton last week. I love bringing in that guy. You know why? Because he started. He's, he has starter experience and he put up good numbers when he did it. That's true. We got him for the veteran minimum. <laughs> you can't hate that. <laughs> we actually got a like almost everyone for the veteran minimum. I know. We which is pretty sweet. Doug Whaley did an awesome job. So the next position up is guard. Ryan Groy, who nobody knows, <laughs> third year player out of Wisconsin. Richie Incognito, he's our starter. Tenth year veteran, Nebraska. Nebraska always has a nasty offensive line. You're exactly right. It's about those corn fed farm boys they get out yeah. there just punching people in the mouth. It's that corn. It's the corn that they eat. <laughs> it's all that <laughs> corn, Rico. There you go. That's what it is. So then John Miller, second year pro out of Louisville. Now, He's a guy I'm interested in. Jameson Lalk, undrafted free agent rookie out of Iowa State. I, mm, eh, whatever. But then Cyril Richardson, third year player out of Baylor. Now, I'm I'm most interested to see what John Miller's going to do now that he's that he's healthy because he did have some injury issues last year. I want to see like a nice healthy year out of John the Miller. The Buffalo News did a did an article about the fact that he hurt his groin early. And then he had the death of his mother. And, I mean, they knew she was dying. It was cancer-related, so they, it wasn't like it was sudden. But it still messed with him. Like, you you figure, look at Marcel Darius a year ago. His brother got his brother got murdered. And everyone was bagging on him for having a down year. One of you, the closest people to you in your entire life just died. That's true. There's, I feel like there's this take that people have that... These football players are just supposed to be machines. That, There's no mercy, it seems like. Yeah, like this is what the, you're, you're almost like how Arian Foster speaks out against fantasy football. He's like, you know, you guys just treat us like we're, we're like we're toys, like we're pawns. You know, I, I'm, I'm yeah, because I want a thousand dollars. That's what I'm saying. What you, you <laughs> yeah, are I want a thousand dollars, Adrian Foster. <laughs> but he, give me a hundred yards and two touchdowns. But he's saying, but 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 they're people. At the end of the day, they're people like you and me. If my brother died, if one of my brothers were to get killed, I don't know what I would do. I'd be, just, I'd just be devastated. So these, you know, who knows what kind of psychological effect that had throughout the course of the season on him? Coming in with a clean slate, healthy. I expect to see more of John Miller because even though he, in pass protection, he sometimes lapsed. He looked like he could be a serviceable guard. But I think the most, I think the most interesting player here out of this entire guard list isn't either one of the starters. It's Cyril Richardson. He's a guy who wasn't on anybody's roster for a while. And then we threw him back on the practice squad. And now he's got another shot after being drafted in the fifth round of coming in and making this roster. The guy is a monster in the run game. Okay, He's a road grader. But he, his biggest flaw was that he could never figure out how to pass block at the NFL level. If he can figure that out, he could be a huge depth player for us. That's definitely a huge if, though. Um, it's a big if. It's one of those. Pass blocking one of those is one of the hardest things to get. Now, now, I do think that this is the year that he has to get it. Because if not, then, you know, oh, yeah. we put in enough time. But I'm actually glad that you guys brought up John Miller because I wanted to just touch on him a little bit in regards to his injuries. Like, you know, people don't understand that I believe – I'm not sure about the groin. Now, I could be wrong, but 
I do remember him suffering a high ankle sprain. I want to say it was against the the Giants, I believe, and it just seemed like he was never really able to re- to recover off of that. I think he came back too early. Exactly, exactly, and they kept on you know bothering him all throughout the season. So I do think that you know because going into uh, last season. All the talk was, you know, John Miller, he's extremely intelligent. Um, so I do think that if healthy, he is who some fans think he could be. So It's one of the questions we're uh, raising over here on our podcast is uh, questioning our medical staff. Is oh, Drew, that Drew came started, up last week. Drew started doing that last week. I'm starting to question. At what point do you question your medical staff? If you now, look at all now. the Sammy Watkins stuff that's gone on, some of the other misdiagnoses of in- injuries and things like that, it, it starts to pile up after a while. Yeah, that's true. But if you look at it in 2013, I don't think we had anyone injured. And so, or, uh, I'm sorry, 14. Um, mm-hmm. And then now, you know, so it kind of went from us you know, getting lucky with injuries to just, you know, everything happening, which it seemed like all at once. So. Well, if you're talking about injuries, I said it last year that we were extremely lucky at the end, and we have to be lucky this year because our depth is thin. And at a legitimate stand-up pass rushing the end, we don't have a lot of those guys. We don't. And especially when it comes to injuries, you want to know how how – how healthy can Chantrell Henderson be on the offensive line? Well, and that brings us to our next position group, offensive tackle. You want to talk about groups that might be hurt by injuries? Here's the list. Cordy Glenn, six-year veteran out of Georgia. Chantrell Henderson, third year out of Miami. Cyrus Quanjo. Now, I'm a huge Bama fan. He's in his third year, and that guy has done nothing but disappoint me. I was so happy when we drafted him, and he's just, I don't know, he just... He got called Venus de Milo, the statue with no arms, by one of the position coaches. He's that bad. Two undrafted free agent rookies and Marquise Lucas and Keith Lumpkin, one of the most unfortunate names I've ever heard. <laughs> Keith Lumpkin. And then Jordan Mills in his fifth year out of Louisiana Tech. Now, my analysis of this entire group is that outside of Cordy Glenn, there isn't much to speak of in the way of top-tier talent at the tackle spots. I mean, Mills is probably the favorite to win the right tackle job because Henderson's still trying to come back from that Crohn's disease surgery. And Quanjo just nobody trusts him. Yeah. It'll definitely be tough for, you know, Henderson. Um, I've never had Crohn's, of course, and I don't know anyone who's, who's had Crohn's, but I've, I heard that it's, 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 it's pretty hard to come back from. Now, if you look at a Keith Lumpkin, he's massive though. Six, eight, 325. So mm-hmm. you would hope. You know, just from his his stature, that he'll be able to do something. But I'm probably right there with you. I think that Jordan Mills played good enough to not lose his job. Of course, now, of course, it'll be a competition, but I think that he's definitely the front runner. Mm. Yeah, no, and you know what? That makes it makes sense. I mean, it's he played at the end of the year, and the one thing people kept saying about the Bills draft, and it drove me crazy. People kept panning our draft because they said, oh, well, they needed to get a right tackle and they didn't get better. Do we need to get better at right tackle with a premium pick? Because I'll tell you what, we had Jordan Mills, Cyrus Quanjo, and Chantrell Henderson, none of whom are household names, 
and yet we were still the number one rushing team in football. And now, what some people may not know as well, we also led the league in uh, the amount of time the quarterback had to pass. Yeah. Yeah, so, they they did well with the group of guys we had, even though they seem on paper like they're no names. I will say though that my suspicion, come roster cutdown time, the Bills are going to have their eyes on the waiver wire, just to see who else gets released. You know, maybe there's an overpaid veteran that loses his job to a cheaper a cheaper draft pick or something of that nature. Somewhat of a lawyer Malloy situation, kind of. The Bills are going to have their eyes on the waiver wire for tackles come the you know the middle of the summer. It definitely seems like it does happen every season where mm-hmm. there's some you know solid names that that get released. So oh yeah, it's definitely doable. Now the next group is probably one of my favorites in the entire team: running back, <laughs> Mike Gillisley, third year out of Florida; Lashawn McCoy, he's a ninth year vet out of Pittsburgh. We we all know who LaShawn McCoy is. He's shady. Exactly. James Wilder Jr., second year out of Florida State University. Carlos Williams, second year out of Florida State University. Jonathan Williams, fifth-round rookie out of Arkansas. Now, before you came on the air, we were talking about how Chris Brown went on John Murphy's radio show this past week and was talking about how Jonathan Williams might actually be in line to replace Carlos Williams as our running back, too. I actually saw a lot of film after we drafted him, and he's legit, man. He's got a style to him. And, I mean, like his balance is just ridiculous. Like It's hard to bring him down. Um, I am a big fan of James Wilder as well. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that he's just a slower version of a Carlos William. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, Carlos's you know, vision is maybe a tad bit better than a James Wilder, but mm-hmm. – I do think that, you know, Gillisley, he might be the odd man out, honestly, because if you look at everyone we have now, I'm not quite sure about, you know, Jonathan Williams, but, mm-hmm. you know, we just drafted him, so I'm, you know, pretty sure we're going to keep him. But everyone else plays, plays special teams, mm-hmm. except for McCoy, of course. Yeah. It, but, you know, Gillisley is the odd man out. He doesn't play special teams. And if you look at what he did, I mean, what did he really do last year? I mean, he had two big runs, and then, you know, the game where he had a whole bunch of carries, he really only gained, you know, 40 yards in uh, week 17. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm not quite sold on him just yet. Well, and a lot of that makes a lot of sense. My analysis of this entire group is that, okay, we're the team that led the NFL in rushing. Okay, we are the big dog when it comes to running the football. Part of that is Rex's mentality. Part of that is the fact that we have the talent on hand to do it. Part of that is Greg Roman's offense. Greg Roman's offense feeds off the run. Yeah. So their depth chart at running back makes it clear that they don't intend on changing that philosophy. You've got McCoy, who's your bell cow. Yeah, he's your bell cow. He's not going. He's not going to play special teams. He's going to be your go-to guy. He's got the lateral agility, vision, catches out of the backfield. He can play all three downs if you want him to. Gillisley, to me, is a poor man C.J. Spiller. He cannot run for a damn worth, uh, worth a damn between the tackles. But if he gets outside, you saw that run against the Cowboys. Yep. yep. Huge run. And he had, a, he, had a, he had another one. Oh, what game was it? It was Redskins. Redskins? Yep. He busts. 
when he can get outside the tackles, he has a second gear that guys can't catch up with. And that's the reason he's still hanging around here in the NFL. But then you get the three W's. Wilder Jr., Carlos, and John Williams. If you watched all of their highlight reels, one after another after another, you'd think you'd watched it. You'd watch the same tape on repeat because they're all running backs who are six feet tall, 230 pounds, and they're one cut hard north and south runners. That plays the Romans offense. That is his offense. He, look at what he did with Frank Gore. He made, Frank Gore was old and he made him a staple of his offense. Even Anthony Dixon in in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. He needs that guy who is not shy when it comes to contact, who isn't going to hesitate in the backfield. Because he's going to get his offensive line to open a hole. He has these kind of inventive blocking schemes. When they open a hole, he needs a guy who's going to hit it hard. And when he does encounter contact, can brush off that contact and get another couple yards. And that's why they're stacking up on big-bodied wide running backs. You know, I think it's going to be great to watch this. This is probably one of my favorite position groups come training camp. I'm going to have all eyes on this group. <laughs> Agreed. Because Agreed. we're going to cut some guys who have actual talent. You know, there's going to be some guys that not everyone can make it. And yeah. I think every one of these guys has some level of NFL talent. I just think that Roman, he's, he's, he's so obsessed of this running game. I'm not sure if you guys remember, but you know, prior to the season, you know, the media was asking Roman, uh, you know, you know how in 2014 they kind of struggled a bit in San Francisco and he, mm-hmm. he came in and I remember this vividly. He was like, I could have the number one. He, no, no, he, I'm sorry. He said, if I wanted to, I could have the number one running, uh, one team in the league. And I was like, he's right. That's what he did. So the man's not wrong. He yeah. showed it. This this year, he had a coach who loves ground and pound football, old school smash mouth football. Agreed. And they got so what they did was they went out and acquired the talent to do it. And now, before you got on the air, I was talking about it. We need to build. If anything, you know what I want to see the Bills be more like. I want to see the Bills be more like Kansas City. Jamal Charles goes down, but they very quietly. I mean, no one knew who Chuck Andrequist was. No Spencer Ware, but these guys came out of nowhere and put up great seasons. But that's what you need if you're going to live and die by the run. If you because they're having a solid running game, not even live and die by it, but it's gonna having a great running rushing attack is going to boost your offense because then your quarterback is never really put in a position where he has to make that third and fifteen, third and twelve. You know what I mean? You're now never, real quick though. I, I do have a question for you guys. Are okay. you guys, I know you guys probably heard of the, uh, you know, the Sean McCoy. He, uh, the bar fight. He had some hamstring. No, no. Oh. He had a hamstring tightness today in practice. So they mm-hmm. kind of, you know, held him out a little bit. But do you kind of see, because those, those soft tissue injuries, oh, they, they seem to just linger, man. They linger. They don't go away. Sit them until week one. Look at Stevie Johnson. Exactly. Stevie Johnson was a baller. And then he tore his groin, like tore it, tore it. And then every year after that, you saw his production decline because he just couldn't come back from it. There was just couldn't come back. And so hamstrings, groins, those soft tissue injuries, 
if you're an athlete, there may sometimes because that's what they'll do is they'll sometimes they'll do surgery if it's bad enough. But even yeah. that surgery, you're not 100. percent You never you will at never a, again. At Andre Johnson, for example, the same thing. Yeah. I mean, because he was the man, and then he he kept on suffering those those uh you know hamstring and, and uh mm-hmm. you know Aaron Foster. But I think that Lashawn McCoy, you know, certain people they seem to not understand how valuable this guy is to this team. Like, I think well, next to Sammy Watkins, oh, yeah. he's probably the most valuable player on this team. Well, because so that's we why actually have a clip on, on the Instagram at Bills Fanatics BF and where, you know, Sean McCoy in the color rush game where he basically dipped seven, like seven – Unblocked defenders for a two-yard gain, and I was like, oh my "I remember God. that because remember I was that? screaming at the TV, and I was like, you assholes need to block.'" <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's cutting oh and bobbing God. and weaving. And when he got across the line of scrimmage, I almost threw my beer across the room. My gr- my girlfriend was yelling at me. I was that was amazing. So so if you look at that run, you can probably say he doesn't need an offensive line. <laughs> yeah, but so in in my mind, if he's already starting to tighten up. Screw it. Keep yeah. him out. He he has nothing to prove. Him Agreed. going to training camp, he has nothing to prove. If he hits the gym the way he needs to, and he's a pro, he knows what he needs, all it does is it gives – it's kind of like the wide receiver thing. If you hold Sammy Watkins out, you know, we can – it gives the other guys under him more of an opportunity to show what they have. And then that way we can get a better feel for what they do. Now, in tandem with the running back position, we've only got two fullbacks on this roster. <laughs> Jerome Felton, ninth-year vet. Now, I'd say he's one of the most disappointing seasons of, of signings of last season. 100%. The guy was a pro bowler. Okay? He blocked for you know Adrian Peterson when he had his most productive seasons. And then he came here and was just, A, underutilized, and B, when he had the chance to make plays, he whiffed on blocks. He was whiffing on blocks all of the time, and so they didn't trust him. 100%. And then you've got Glenn Gronkowski, an undrafted free agent rookie. Now, I feel like considering Felton's play last year, Gronk has a real shot to replace him on this roster if he just shows that he can play special teams well. I actually do agree with that because after watching his film too, uh, you know, give a shout out to Drab Breakdown who do, they do an amazing job over there. But um, if you if you actually watch Gronk, you know, people are so caught on the last name, oh, he's a Gronkowski. But if you look at his play, he's He's a very balanced blocker, and um, oh yeah, he, he's able to catch the ball out of the backfield pretty well. So I think, like you said, he, in my opinion, he has a he has a shot. He definitely has a shot. But the only problem that I have though with Felton is that it's hard to cut him and just eat all that dead money. Mm. Well, I mean? actually, here's I was looking at it today at underthecap.com. According to them, if we were to cut Felton, we'd save two point three million dollars in cap. Oh, really? Yeah. There's then, no dead money. There's no then, dead money tied to him. So at this point, I feel like he's got a target on his back. Oh, then the coaching staff is going to be looking for every reason to get rid of this guy. That might be the first person to get cut. Honestly, <laughs> that's what I mean. When cut down day comes, he might be the first name on it. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to tight end, Charles Clay. Sixth-year veteran out of Tulsa, Chris Gregg. Fourth-year out of Alabama, Arkansas, Jim Dre. Seventh-year veteran out of Stanford. Nick O'Leary, he's an interesting guy. Second-year pro out of Florida State. 
And then some guy named Blake Annan. He's been in the league for three years. I've never heard his name before today. So I'll say. <laughs> My overview of this group, I don't know about you, but Clay is far and away the most dynamic player at our at that position on our team. Yes, of yeah. course. Now, some people panned the fact that we signed Jim Dre. The guy has been in the NFL for a while. He's stuck to rosters for seven years. The guy is a great special teams player, and he's a run-blocking specialist. That's that's his role. He doesn't catch the ball much, but that's his role. Now, Greg isn't a whole lot different. What he, you know, it's it's kind of like a trade-off. Jim Dre is the guy who's good special teams player, and he's a run blocker. Greg is more of a pass catcher. He's not that great in the run blocking game, but he still plays special teams. So they're the opposite sides of a coin there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and let me actually throw out just a little twist. Now it's probably far fetched, but you know that's kind of what I do. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Week 17 of last year. Roman actually had Cyrus Quandro playing a lot of tight end. He did. As a blocking tight end. Well, I think part of it, that's because he didn't like the way Chris Gregg was getting out there. And that's true. I think he doesn't trust. And I think that's why they went out and got Jim Dre was because they're like, okay, at the tight end position, we need to get better at run blocking. Without Charles Clay in the lineup, we need somebody who can run block from a tight end position. And Chris Gregg isn't that guy. But also, they want to find someone that allows Charles Clay not to have to be that that uh, run blocker. Yep. And so my suspicion here all along, and the real intrigue that I have with this group, because we know who the number one is, right? It's yep. His contract says it. He says it. Just his place in this lineup. Nick O'Leary. I think that the front office is very quietly hoping that he shows enough this year in training camp to, to justify his spot in the 53-man roster. I mean, he was the tight, he was the best tight end in college, or at least he won the award for it when he was the year we drafted him. We spent a fifth round draft pick on him. I think they're hoping that he puts enough of his game together to force one of these veteran players off the roster. I just think that if he can just figure out how to block, man. Yeah, even then, he'd be, he'd be money. He'll be money because then, you know, it would definitely make the, you know, the Felton, the Felton cut just mm-hmm. that much quicker. Exactly. And uh, you would just have um, O'Leary as an H-back. True. And then we get to, again, you have running back. If I'm looking at position battles come training camp, running back is probably one, and this is 1A. We get the wide receiver group. <laughs> Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods. Okay, Marquise Goodwin, Jared Boykin, guy to Vatek. He knows Sammy. He has a rapport already. He's played with Tyrod Taylor before. Greg Little, Greg Salas, Marcus Easley. Everyone knows who he is. He's a household name around here. Yeah. And then everyone else gets. I mean, Greg Salas. Everyone remembers him for all of his catches during that Jets game. But then everyone else is virtual unknown. Leonard Hankerson. Colby Lissenby, Desmond Lewis, Gary Chambers, Devontae Allen, and Walter Powell. Now, this is what Rex Ryan had to say recently on this position group at buffalobills.com. I think it's all going to have to shake out. You know, clearly nobody's really jumped out. You know, obviously you got Salas. I think, you know, he played pretty well for us at the end of the year. Um, 
and we're actually looking at him, you know, returning punts as well. So he, he's doing a nice job. But overall, nobody's really, you know, hey, this guy's a clear, you know, number three, number four, whatever it is. You, you really haven't seen it. And, and let's not forget we got somebody that's, uh, uh, you know, a good one, you know, having a, the furthest jump in, in the world, uh, long jump. So, you know, that's a, a real positive. But having him come back after the Olympics will be good. Uh, listen, B, he's, he's been explosive when he's out here. Um, so we got to get him healthy. Uh, so that receiving core might look a little different, but I'm excited to see these guys, you know, when training camp comes around. Uh, you know, and we'll see who uh, separates himself. But What do you think about that, Pierre? It's just so difficult listening to Rex Ryan sometimes because it, if you notice, he talks up everyone. Yep. Um, yeah, hey, Remember, Pierre, what is the uh, having the record long jump having to do it, it with absolutely. with Goodwin going deep? It, like that, that's all what Goodwin is is a deep threat. Okay, throw him a fifty yard bomb. Tell him he has to jump in the end zone from the seven. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. But but like for example, last year around this time, he was talking up Ty Powell, and you know Ty Powell, he's He's showing out, and then in my mind, I kind of got sold. I'm like, you know what? Maybe Ty Powell can be that you know middle linebacker that we can have, and then we never resigned him. So I'm sitting here like, okay, maybe he wasn't who Rex, you know, was talking him up to be. So just knowing that as of right now, it's very hard to to take him, you know, at face value. But I do feel that we have some competition for sure. Oh, it's. This position group is incredibly tough to gauge. I mean, Watkins, we all know what he is. I mean, he's the guy who I watched him in college go up against Ohio State in a bowl game. And I hate Ohio State. I hate their guts. I don't know why. I've got a, I'm an Alabama fan, but I've got a, that game, I hated them before that. I think because one of my best friends, James Potter, he is a Michigan fan. And so all of my years of like getting into college football was watching games with him. And he just hated Ohio State. So I hated Ohio State, and now I just can't shake it. I just hate him. (laughs) But (laughs) he put up – he had a bum knee. He hurt his knee in the middle of the game and still went out there and put up the most yards in a Citrus Bowl game in history. And I think he scored three touchdowns. It was crazy. At one point, he out-jumped three – two cornerbacks and a safety – out-jumped them, plucked the ball over all three of them, and just walked it in for a touchdown. It was crazy. You know, Pierre, how do you see our wide receiver depth chart shaking out after Sammy Watkins because he's our obvious number one? Well, let me preface what I'm going to say by saying I was probably in the minority of those people who wanted to draft a wide receiver in the first round. I do think that that the depth outside of Sammy Watkins is pretty thin. Um, we have a bunch of nobodies, in my opinion. Robert Woods has not proved that he's a viable number two. I don't um, think he's anything outside of a slot receiver. Exactly. Now, as far as what we have now, I am – we actually had a film breakdown on – that Bill's Fanatics on um, Instagram where we actually broke down every wide receiver on the roster – we showed wow. you know, all of their uh, you know catches mm-hmm. from from last year, and 
the one wide receiver who actually stood out was Jared Boykin. It seems like he's that my man. He's that you know Steve Smith type, type yep. you know fiery, mm-hmm. you know clutch. It seems a wide receiver. He makes a lot of the tough catches. I'm not sure how big um, you know hands are in uh, you know catching the ball. I'm pretty sure it it does mean something. But you know him having you know ten inch hands, it, it, I guess is a plus. Well, here's but, something um, I noticed. You want to talk about size? Marquise Goodwin is the only one of our wide receivers under six feet tall. Yep. That's it. Everyone else is six foot or higher. Honestly, I like – I'm probably one of the few that – I actually like Marquise Goodwin if he can stay healthy. Yeah, which, but he can't. He hasn't yeah, proven yeah. or at least he hasn't proven. He hasn't proved that yet. But I think that if he can be used properly and not just that gadget or, or that go deep guy who I think, you know, listen, B is going to be for us for a while. Um, I just think that right now – it probably goes Sammy Watkins, and I'll probably put a Boykin at number two. Honestly, I'm very high on Boykin. You and me and both, I th- brother. You and, and I me think both. that Tyrod Taylor is not going to let Jared Boykin not make this team. <laughs> now, here's what I'll say: Woods. Here's my take on this entire position group. Woods, solid run blocker, but he's never been dynamic in the passing aspect again. Exactly. Goodwin. I don't really know what we have in him because he can't stay healthy. <laughs> He's a good deep threat, but who knows if Lissenby doesn't take his job. You don't know because the guy can't stay healthy. Easily career special teamer. You know, he scored what? He scored one big touchdown last year. And outside of that, he doesn't have. You know what it is? And I've watched that breakdown because I thought he was going to be the big receiver that we had been looking for for years. What it turns out is that he's a long strider, which means his it takes him so long to get to his second gear that people just have him covered. Yeah. So he's a career special teamer, and who knows how he's going to come back from that broken leg? You know, it was a gross injury, and you could tell he was hurting. Like that's I feel for that guy. Everyone else is a newcomer, but there was a there was a theme to the to the free agents that we threw at this list because if you looked at the guys they picked up in the off season. And you were talking about them wanting to draft you wanting them to draft a wide receiver in the first round. Yes. Okay. There is a learning curve to how you play football in the NFL, especially at wide receiver. I feel like the hardest positions to learn are wide receiver and cornerback. Those are the two hardest transitions to make because there's new rules that are different from the way they were in college. There's a lot of off-speed and speed change things that you have to do because when you're in college, if you're Sammy Watkins, you've spent your career playing guys who are average at best. Now, every week, you're going out there against cornerbacks and safeties who are the best players you've ever played. There's a learning curve. Des, you know, Des Bryant found it. Um, Demarius Thomas. I took him in my first his rookie year. I drafted him in fantasy football, and he did nothing because he just it takes some time to acclimate to the how to play wide receiver in the NFL. So I think that what they did was that they said, "Let's go the opposite direction. Let's go out there and let's grab every wide receiver that has number two or number three experience somewhere, and throw them on this roster and make them fight for a spot." Greg Little. Greg Little is a guy with. 
you know, when he came out, he was a first-round draft pick, and everyone thought he was going to set the world on fire, and he didn't. His hands just constantly betray him. But he's a, he's a physical guy. He's a big receiver that you have to account for. Jarek Boykin, I love Jarek Boykin. You know, he's he's he was supposed to be the number three slash number two in case of injury for Green Bay. But then they drafted Devontae Adams, and he lost that numbers game. Leonard Hankerson, another guy. He was a number three slash number two in Atlanta. All of them are prolific passing offenses. So I think that they just took all of the experience they could and crammed it onto a depth chart, depth chart and figured that they would fight to the death, Thunderdome style. They're going to fight over this position. Now, Pierre, uh, you talking up Jared Boykin, one of the things that I that I hamper on uh, on our podcast is when you look at somebody like Jared Boykin who had played with Aaron Rodgers, and I also look at another one of his teammates from Green Bay, James Jones, who has done nothing in his NFL career outside of Aaron Rodgers. And if you're thinking that Jared Boykin could take that number two, now, I get that he had uh, some chemistry with Tyrod at going to Virginia Tech with him, but is there anything else that you that Jared Boykin does that makes you think that he could work with Tyrod Taylor since he kind of couldn't get it done with Aaron Rodgers? Well, I, let's take away the whole, you know, Tyrod, you know, relationship and mm-hmm. just, you know, focus on just uh, – I do think that, you know, Green Bay – they already had their wide receivers set. You know, they were going to go with Nelson, Cobb, and uh, there was one more guy that they had. Adams. Devontae Adams. Yes, Adams. So, you know, that was going to be their three yep. regardless. Now, um, I do feel that he was just the odd man out or, you know, whatever the case is with that. But as far as Jared um, Boykin, in my opinion, he, I think that he's a tremendous or he's an underrated route runner. He runs tremendous routes. He's he's uh he's very crisp as far as his his uh, route running. But then it seems like the guy just catches everything, man. He's got I great mean, hands. He has great hands. Great hands. Now I know I said that you know we're going to take away the Tyrod relationship, but I think chemistry does mean something. It, oh, like, it, it has does to mean something. You know, you're going. But a guy that you've played with for four years, I, I mean, you know, you know their tendency. So, but I do think that his route running in his hands is what you know probably going to, you know, uh, we're we're definitely all going to see. Oh yeah, season camp. No, it's going to be so much fun to watch. I feel like this and the the running back battle are going to be fantastic to watch. But I am actually intrigued to see what, you know, Greg Little can do. Um, yes, his drops was definitely concerning, and that was probably the reason why he's no longer playing in Cleveland. Rock hands. Rock hands. But if you look at it, his rookie season was pretty solid. So as far as probably the most accomplished wide receiver outside of Sammy is a Greg Little. Yeah. So – We'll see. But but honestly, just me personally, I just want that go get it guy. Yep. Just go up there and get it. Fight, like fight how many your times and come down with the ball. Exactly. Like how many times during the red or in the red, zone. the red zone where we had to get creative because we couldn't just lob it up. And that's what they're saying about Greg Little. They're like, that exactly. guy just goes up there and gets it. Exactly. He'll he'll he can outmuscle his man. 
The last position we're going to talk about. Long snapper. <laughs> Garrison Sanborn, eighth-year veteran of Florida State University. Cut him now. Cut him now, please. Reed Ferguson, undrafted free agent rookie out of LSU. Now, generally, I wouldn't even bring this up as an actual position on the team, but I will say this. Pierre, Reed, uh, Pierre I know Reed Ferguson personally. Reed Ferguson is a childhood friend slash acquaintance of Chris. Get out of here. Yeah. Which immediately makes me root for him to make the team. When, when, of course. Yeah, when my when my family moved to Atlanta, one of the things that I got involved in was youth roller hockey. And uh, one of the guys on my team, uh, our families became kind of close. And they happened to live across the street from the Fergusons. And I basically have known of Reed his entire life. When he was a teenager... I worked parks and recreation in a town outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in Alpharetta, and I score kept basketball in the winter. And when he was like 13, he was playing rec basketball and dominating the low post. Just <laughs> give it to Reed because he was bigger than everybody. And you know his, you know he'd come to his games in 13, 14. His parents remembered who I was, and I had no idea that he was playing football at LSU. It was and so funny because he got a tweet. From I tweeted at his dad because I knew his dad would remember who I was. And then he got a tweet back. He's like, oh, yeah, this is our son. And, oh, yeah, that's him. And so then he tweeted at him. And Reed, I'll tell you, he's pumped. That is awesome. Man. Yeah, that and I awesome. want him to make the team over Garrison Sanborn so I can say, hey, Reed, if you need a place to stay, I've go. got an extra bedroom. <laughs> the only he's trying the, to shack up with the long the, snapper. The only step is that every Wednesday night you come on our podcast <laughs> and we talk we talk about the the game from Sunday. There you if go. You that need would be me. awesome. If That's you, a producer. He's always angling. Yeah, he's you, always trying to angle. Need, I'll pick you up from the airport. If you need me to pick you up from the airport, I'll pick you up at the airport. I'll that come is to, awesome. I'm, now, I mean, it's like, but as far as Garrison, though, it just seems like teams just don't let go of their long snappers. Oh, no. If you get a good one, why would yeah, you? Because they could throw off your whole special teams unit. But Garrison Sanborn is 30, which is 70 years old in NFL years. Yeah, but it seems like those long snappers can probably play to like 100. Oh, yeah. Guys don't ever <laughs> let their long snappers go because if you get one who's good, that's Which is it. Reed Ferguson. <laughs> Which is Reed Ferguson. <laughs> Look, he's got a man crush. I mean, and I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> I would, too, if I were him. That's awesome, man. That's, that's so awesome. All right. So we're going to wrap this all up here. Guys, everyone out there. It's been great of you to show up and listen to our podcast. Pierre, why don't you tell everyone who's listening right now a little bit about where they can go to find Bill's Fanatic content? Well, definitely you can find us on BillsFanaticsBF.com and on Facebook. You know, Buffalo Bills Fanatics on Facebook, Twitter at BillsFanaticsBF, on Instagram, which is absolutely amazing. Like, if you haven't checked out our Instagram account, it's a definitely a must-watch at Bills Fanatics. So, and you just got up to, what, like 18,000 on Instagram? On, no. We actually hit the 20,000 mark just just uh, last week. We're at, uh, you know, 20.2 right now. So, you know, we a total, I believe, we're at 62,000 total all over social media. So, you know, we're definitely doing great things. 
you know, I appreciate, you know, all the supporters that, that uh, you know, follow Bills Fanatics. But, yeah, man, at Bills Fanatics. All right, guys, and that was it. That's the podcast for this week. I hope you all enjoyed it. But I want to know what you people think. Sit at us on Twitter. Someone talk to me. I'm dying out here on an island. Yeah, nobody wants to I'm alone listen. on an island and nobody wants He's to talk. He's bored to me. of listening to Larissa. <laughs> <laughs> Get at me and you know, send me an email. We'll read it in the next mailbag. Rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. Twitter at rockpilereport. Right now we've got a poll up talking about what what you think about ESPN's take on <laughs> the Bills being 7th in the AFC as far as the roster's concerned analytically. Guys, it's been a lot of fun, and I, I thank Pierre from Bills Fanatics for coming on. I thank this Blue Light Royale. I thank Leo's Pizza on Seneca Street. Oh, yeah, Leo's Pizza. They supply us. I'll tell you this. They, I've got a graveyard of about nine beers sitting in my left hand. <laughs> yeah. it's, I've, I've, I've had a few drinks. A lot of the drinks. Boys and girls, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.